Now, we live in a day and age where um, there's a lot of information about pretty much anything. You can be an expert on anything uh, because of YouTube and because of Google. You know, before, when you didn't know the answer to the question, you had to say, I just don't know. But now, you take a quick moment to look up something on Google or on YouTube. There's a quick answer, and pretty much you have an opinion. Uh, and this is great because we have access to information unlike ever before, that we have access to knowledge unlike ever before. And a lot of times, because we are so bombarded with information, it requires us to sort out the good information from the bad information. It requires us to have discernment what information that we're going to believe. And so a lot of times, we tend to judge that information. And often, this happens in Christianity as well. A lot of people more than ever before, have understanding and information about Christianity. You have access to the greatest preachers, the best tools. You can literally take seminary classes that normally before that people who want to become pastors would, be, would take, would be trained. You can literally take a full-on degree online if you desire to do so. We have resources, information all over the place. And because of that, a lot of times we have to sort out the good information from the bad information about Christianity. But here's something I want us to understand today. It's good that we have a lot of information, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is not just good information. It's the power of transformation. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not just good information. It's the power of transformation. That's so important because when you process information, it's easy it's convenient because you can literally choose whether or not to take that information or let it go. But when you are talking about transformation, it requires you to change. It requires you to think differently, to act differently. Something about your life becomes uncomfortable because you are confronting this thought of transformation. But I get this from the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 4.20, it says, For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in the power. So yes, we can talk about Christianity, we can talk about different beliefs, but at the end of the day, what God wants to, us to experience in our everyday life is not information, it's transformation. In Romans 1.16, it says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for all who believe, to the Jew first and to also the Greeks. So Paul, he highlights the fact as he's going to present this incredible narrative of the gospel in the book of Romans. He's going to highlight the fact that the gospel is not just good information. It's the power of God that transforms all people. Jews, Greeks, it doesn't matter. Your life will never be the same when you encounter the true living gospel of Jesus Christ. And so today's passage is about a life transformed. The first thing that we see is that there's a woman who is completely transformed by the grace and the power of Jesus Christ. So a life transformed, that's the first thing I want us to look at. Now in verse 10, it says he was teaching, Jesus was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now we talked about this before. Uh, uh, the Jewish people at that time, they would regularly gather at this place called a synagogue. It was a place of worship, just like we are gathered here uh, on a specific day of the week to worship God. People back then also gathered on a specific day, on the day of rest, the, 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 the day that God separated uh, to worship him. And so we see that Jesus today in this passage is the guest speaker. 
He's the one who's bringing the word of God to this congregation. And as he is preaching, it says in verse 11, And behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. So something about this woman is off. There's a disabling spirit. In the NIV translation, it says there's a cripple crippling spirit, something that's causing her to be disabled, to be crippled, and this condition exists for 18 years. We don't know exactly what the name of this condition is. Some people suspect that it's probably something in the spine cord that, you know, there's some sort of inflammation or something else that is causing this disability. Some people believe that it's caused by a lot of stress, a lot of, you know, mental stress where it's now causing physical pain. Uh, We don't know exactly what's happening. One thing that we do know is that this woman is in severe pain. Like This woman is so broken to the point it says in verse 11, she was bent over. She can't sit up straight and could not fully strain herself. It talks about how she is completely crippled physically, and it seems like there's a spiritual reality behind it because in verse 11 it says this is not just a disability that this woman has, but Luke being a doctor, his diagnosis is that this is a disabling spirit that's kind of possessing her right now. It says in verse 16, Satan has kept her bound for 18 years. So it seems like there's a spiritual reality behind the physical pain that she is experiencing. And so she is completely broken, completely helpless, like for 18 years, imagine not being able to, to, to strain up her back. Like people have this type of condition even today. And a lot of times what happens is you can't talk to this person face to face. Look other people in the eye because you're always kind of hunched down like this. You know, it's hard to have these social interactions. Like we naturally have a tendency to kind of view people with disabilities in a, in a, in, in a different way, although we shouldn't. No, just imagine someone, a woman with this type of disability for 18 years living in this time where it was not just considered a disability, but a lot of people would have treated this as something spiritually wrong. That this woman probably sinned before God. She deserved this type of punishment. It wasn't that she was just in physical pain, but spiritually she was being tormented because she did something wrong before God. That's how people would have interpreted this condition because there's no way a human being should suffer in such a way. And so she is completely crippled, disabled. Like she can't experience life to its fullest potential. And sadly, A lot of times, although we might not suffer physically in such a way, there are certain things in our lives that cripple us, that disable us from experiencing the fullness of joy and the fullness of life in our lives. For some people, it could be, you know, really a a physical condition that you've been sick for so long that's that's causing you to just look at life in such such a kind of discouraging way that you feel like there's no hope in life because of your physical condition. For some people, you've been struggling with this mental condition for a long time and you're wondering when, Lord, would you do something about this and you feel so defeated. For some people, it could be a hurt in the past that it just keeps coming up time and time again and you can never grow out of it. It's like you're kind of, you're bound to this this way of thinking because you were hurt by, in a certain way or by a specific person. 
For some people, it could be just a spiritual reality where you are just so hardened in your heart that no matter what you do, you just can't make sense of what God is trying to say to you. For some people, it's related to your identity that you are so confused and you feel like I'm the only person in this world who's feeling this way. Whatever it might be, whether it's been days, months, or years, the Bible reminds us that the reality of life is that we all suffer brokenness, that there's all these things in this life that are not necessarily um, whole, but is crippled, disabled, that sometimes it's hard because of these problems to live a life that is, that is honoring to God and, and that is joyful in the Lord and A lot of times what we do when we suffer for this long is we go to places, go to people looking for answers. I'm sure this person has the answer. I'm sure this person might understand what I'm going through. Like how many of you have been there before where you struggle with this one particular thing and it seems like this, the problem is just ongoing. That's how this woman felt. She is in physical pain, tormented in her spirit probably isolated from society because no one wants to encounter her because they think she's unclean. And yet, what we see in today's passage is is marvelous because the Bible reminds us as she is in the synagogue hearing the words of Jesus, it says in verse 13, in verse 12, it says, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. So, there's two parts to this equation. First, we see that everything is driven by Jesus. This woman did not go up to Jesus asking for help. She didn't come up to Jesus and say, Jesus, I've, I've, been, I've been suffering for all these years. Do something about my condition. No, it says that as, as Jesus was preaching, it was Jesus who first saw this woman. Not this woman who called out to Jesus first. It was Jesus who first saw this woman. It says that Jesus called her over. It says that he was the one who spoke to her. He was the one who laid his hands on her. And he was the one who completely healed her. Like, what did this woman do to experience this type of healing? Really nothing. Like, everything, every step of the way, it was driven, initiated by Jesus. And that shows the heart of God. Aren't you glad that God is willing to take initiative to restore us, to renew us? That he doesn't just look at broken people and is like, man, I hope one day they'll figure it out. I hope one day somehow they'll come to their senses and figure out their problem. No, When God sees our brokenness, he takes initiative. He comes to broken people, sinful people like you and me. How do you know that? He sent his one and only son, Jesus, to die on the cross. Like after sending prophet after prophet after prophet, reminding us that life doesn't have to be this way, we should repent from our sins. As the last resort, God sends his one and only beloved son, Jesus Christ. He takes initiative when we were lost in our trespasses and sin, dead in our our ways, no disobedient to the Lord, God showed mercy and grace. We have a gracious God who's willing to initiate this process of transformation. Praise God for who he is and all that he has done. But notice in verse 13, when this woman experienced the touch of Jesus, immediately 
she was made straight, and she glorified God. Now, I don't know exactly what this process was. The Bible seems to keep this very brief. Uh, but the truth is that immediately this woman was able to be free from all that pain, all, 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 all that limiting uh, movement, and, and now her back is straight. She can finally see people eye to eye, and it's quite cool because the first person in a long time that she saw face to face, eye to eye, is the face of her Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And because of that, because she has experienced God's mercy and grace, because now she sees the glorious face of Jesus Christ, she glorified God, the Bible said. She is no longer crippled, no longer disabled, no longer limited when she's experiencing life. Now she can live life freely for the glory of God. And that is the good news that we have today. Like, what did this woman do to deserve this? Nothing really. But there is one thing that she did. She was willing to still go to church. Because she was there still at the synagogue. I think we overlook this a lot of times. If I were her for 18 years, if I tried every possible solution, I don't know. Like, I would have given up. I don't think I would have been there to hear God's word. And for some reason... I don't know if it's out of desperation. It's because this woman had no other option. But for some reason, she still, in the midst of her pain, in the midst of her brokenness, was willing to go to the synagogue and make herself available for the grace and the mercy of Jesus Christ. Now, for some of us, maybe you've been so discouraged with your problems. You've been sitting in these seats for quite a bit, and you're wondering, when will God bring breakthrough and transformation into my life, I just want to encourage you. You just need a touch from Jesus. Now, we can't control that time or when or how, but one thing that we can do is make ourselves available to Jesus. Look for opportunities where we can experience his grace. We can encounter his word. Like, we have to make ourselves available. Be honest about our problems. Come to him and see how he can transform our lives. This woman could not help herself. And yet Jesus, knowing how, this, how broken this woman was, was willing to transform her life, not just heal her, now make her into a worshiper because now she is glorifying God. And that's the transforming power of Jesus Christ. When you encounter the transforming power of Jesus Christ, you're not just renewed in your life, but your spirit is now reoriented where now you live as a worshiper of Jesus Christ. So a life transformed. The second thing that we see is hypocrisy uncovered hypocrisy uncovered. Now, this is a beautiful story, like something that you rarely encounter in your life. Literally, this woman, and most people in the synagogue would have known this woman, seen this woman for 18 years, how she was suffering in her life. And so now that she is healed, people are in awe of of Jesus. They're excited for Jesus. And when people are praising Jesus, there's this one guy in the synagogue who's angry, who's, who's mad. Instead of being in all of Jesus, he is angry with Jesus, indignant, it says in verse 14. Why? Because Jesus had healed this woman on the Sabbath, the day of rest. And that was a big no-no for this religious leader. And he said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. So he's in a way, confronting Jesus. He's telling Jesus, yeah, this is great, but what you did is actually wrong because by doing so, you broke the law. According to God's word, 
According to the Ten Commandments, right, you shall keep the Sabbath day holy. The Sabbath day was the last day of the week. It was a week that was set apart for God's people. Six days, you should work hard, but on the seventh day, the last day, you should rest. Like, you shouldn't work. And in order to honor this command, what people did was, because it doesn't specify in the Bible what is considered work and how you ought to rest, they developed all this tradition, the Mishnah, and different things to come up with clear instructions on how you can faithfully keep the Sabbath. And it was done with a good heart, with good intentions. I think the heart initially was that we really want to honor God and His word and His command, that we're going to go the extreme, we're going to go to the next level and keep it in such a way that we're not going to do certain things Things we're not going to turn turn on certain things, lift up certain things, and so they have all these instructions. And but the problem was that Jesus was unwilling to follow this man's tradition. Jesus wasn't breaking the law. It never says in the Bible that you can't heal anyone on the Sabbath day. Jesus was not breaking the Sabbath. He was breaking this man's notion of the Sabbath, his paths, his his broken understanding of religious customs and that should warn us a lot of times we think that we have been exposed to God's word for a long time we have done church for quite a bit and now we are so set in our ways our traditions the way that we were brought up the things that we were taught in our life that we're unwilling to compromise those things we become automatically defensive when someone is trying to introduce something different and what Jesus says is this by trying to keep all those rules and those regulations, you're actually missing out on the very heart of God and why he gave us the law. In Luke chapter 4, verse 18 to 19, Jesus, he spoke in front of people. This is, again, at the synagogue. He opens up the book of Isaiah and he reads, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim the good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. Sounds very familiar. And recovering the sight of the blind, to set liberty to those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He said this in the midst of a synagogue. And he made it very clear that this is his purpose. This is why he came, to set people free from all their bondage and sin. And he says, kind of dropping the mic, today, this scripture, this passage has been fulfilled, speaking of himself, that he came not to abolish the law, but to complete the law. Later on in Luke chapter 6, they have this whole debate when Jesus encounters a man who had this withering hand, this man who has been crippled in his own way, and, 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 and the Pharisees, they're looking at Jesus, they're wondering, what is Jesus going to do when he sees this broken man? And Jesus, knowing their heart, says this, I ask you, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do harm, to save life or to destroy it? And he heals this man. And what happens next is the Pharisees are so furious. The Bible says from that day, they started to see how they can get rid of Jesus. Do you see how scary just religious activity and you being stuck in your own religious ways can be? That by keeping all these rules and regulations, these traditions, it is quite possible that you might lose sight on the very work of God and the power of Jesus' grace. Like this person experienced this miracle right in front of his eyes. This ruler saw a woman become free from all the pain and suffering she was, that she was experiencing for 18 years. And all he could do is blame Jesus for breaking the law. When you are so fixated on just keeping the law, 
what lacks in your life is compassion and love and heart for people. And what happens is what started off as good intentions becomes something that actually bounds you, that you're no longer seeing things clearly. Because the Sabbath law, if you look at the Old Testament, it was given for a very specific reason. It wasn't just to test people whether or not they're going to keep it or, or not. God, he speaks of the Sabbath law in Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5. It's part of the Ten Commandments. And he gives two reasons why we ought to keep the Sabbath. Number one is we ought to keep the Sabbath because God rested on the seventh day. It says in, in Exodus chapter 20, remember the Sabbath day. Keep it holy. So the day of the Sabbath is not just something that you keep. It's something that you also remember. It says in Exodus 20, verse 11, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now God didn't need rest. He didn't need rest after his work because God never gets tired. He never gets worried. We know that from, from Psalms. Like we know that it wasn't that, man, he, was, he just needed a break. The reason why he rested on the seventh day is because, number one, because there was nothing else to do. His com- creation was completed. But for actually us, to show us a trend, how we ought to live. Because God can go on and on and on and do work and work and work. But we as people who are limited in our ability, limited in our energy, limited in our power, we can't just go on and on and on like robots. We need a specific rhythm in our life. Time and, 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 and opportunities to recover, to rest. And that's why God also encourages us to sleep sometimes. You know, if... If, if you're sleeping, sleeping more than eight hours or, you know, maybe you have to rethink a sleep that you're getting. But I think sleep is an incredible way of you to worship God. Because when you sleep, you have no idea what's going on, right? Like about one third of your life, you actually don't have any memory of. But the world is still going on. How scary is that? How can you go to sleep knowing that uncertainty, knowing that something can happen? Well, you believe that although you go to sleep, God never goes to sleep, that he never slumbers no sleep. That's why it says in Psalm 121, I lift my eyes up. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker and owner of heavens. Uh, He never sleeps nor slumbers, but he's the one who protects me. And therefore, because God protects me, because he's the sustainer of my life, I can actually sleep. I can actually rest. So God reminds us that, through the Sabbath day, that we're not God, that we are actually created beings, that we are created for a purpose. We are created in a specific way. And so taking one day out of the week, we are reminded that our lives should revolve around God at the center of our lives. But the second thing that God says about the Sabbath day in Deuteronomy chapter 5 is this time he says the same thing, observe the Sabbath day, keep it holy. It's a kind of second giving of, of the Ten Commandments, but this is what he says. This time he doesn't talk about creation. It says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 15, You shall remember that you were slaves in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath. So in Deuteronomy chapter 5, what, what God says is the reason why you should keep the Sabbath is because you were saved. You are no longer slaves, but you were saved from all that hard work in Egypt. What were the people of God doing in Egypt? They were just working. Like, they were being just pushed around. 
Like every single day, they were making bricks, and, and they were so tired to the point that they didn't have room or space for God. They were slaves to Pharaoh. And God saved them from that type of slavery where they would just constantly just work, work, work. And finally, God saves them and says, you are created to do something more than just work and survive. You are created to worship me, serve me, love me. And so God says, remember how I brought you out to Egypt. You know, a lot of times with all the, the, the technology that we have, the capacity that we have to work, that we can work 24-7, God is reminding us, you are not created to work as a slave. That you are not created just to build a fortune because, you know, God created you in a specific way that your life, yes, it's a good thing to worship, but your ultimate calling is not just to work, it's to worship. Like your work should be an act of worship towards God. So God says the Sabbath day was created so that you will remember that I'm your creator, that you remember that I'm your savior. And why do we celebrate the Sabbath idea on the Lord's day? Because the Sabbath, even the idea is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Jesus himself says in Luke chapter six, I am the Lord of the Sabbath. I'm the one who provides ultimate rest. I'm the one that, All things are created for me and by me. It says in Colossians chapter 1, I'm the one who saves you. And so instead of just looking at the shadows in the past, we look at the reality of Jesus Christ and we begin to celebrate the Lord's day because he is our salvation and in him we have this new life because we are a new creation in God. So God is our awesome creator. He's our beautiful savior. And my question to you is this. Is that how you feel about Sundays? Like, Do you guys look forward to Sundays where you can take a break from the business of life and you can finally say, God, man, I know during the week I was busy, my mind was somewhere else, but I'm grateful that I have you as my creator, that I'm not just trying to figure things out in this life randomly, but God, you have a purpose, you have a reason for my life, and that's good news. Sometimes we just have to take a break and think of how God saved us so that we don't have to live like slaves in this world, but we can be free to worship God, to honor him. And this is really hard, especially as a pastor for me. Like, you know, on Sundays, it's kind of like my work day almost. But, right? but to think about this idea of the Sabbath is so helpful. It is so healthy for your life. That's why, you know, if I can't really truly rest on Sunday, I make sure that I take out one day out of the week so that I can really recover, so that I can really rest. But more than anything, I can remember the goodness of God, his purpose for my life, and how he saved me. So hopefully you'll look forward to your Sabbath. You look forward to the rest that you can have to remember the goodness of God. But this guy in today's passage, this religious leader said none of that. All he was about was keeping the law keeping all these rules and regulations, and in doing so, he was limiting himself, not freeing himself to be a worshiper. He was putting himself in a box, limiting all these things in his life, and Jesus responds to him with two simple questions after saying that you're a hypocrite. He says in verse 15, you hypocrite, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey for the manger and lead it away to water it? In other words, these rules and regulations that the Jews created, one thing that was not there was that you can't go and feed your your, your animals. Like that that was allowed. Why? Because it's important. You don't want your animals to die or get sick. So it's quite interesting that these religious leaders left out the things that are convenient for themselves, and yet they put all these restrictions on, on everyone else. And so 
Jesus says, hey, like you have certain things that you do during the Sabbath day that is for your convenience. It's not like you just don't do anything at all. You go out, you feed your donkey, you feed your ox, you water, you give them water. And then the next thing that he says is quite amazing. He says, and ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from his bond on the Sabbath day. You are so concerned about your own animals who can't even talk, who are not even created in, in, in God's image, that you are so concerned about them that they're going to die somehow so that you are making sure that they get the water, the food that they need for that day, and yet you have little to no concern about this woman who's been suffering for 18 years. You don't see this woman even as close to an animal that you see this person as basically nothing, and yet the way that I see this woman, she is a daughter of Abraham. She is someone who is worthy of rest. And so I came to, to break the chains, to, to loosen what Satan had on her. And so what Jesus is arguing is this, he, from the lesser to the greater, if you are so concerned about your animals and you're willing to go that far to do stuff on the Sabbath day, how much more should I, as the good shepherd, go after my flock and lead them to green pastures? Jesus is willing to show his compassion, his love to this particular individual. And the sad reality is that it seems like it's not resonating. That a lot of times, because of we're so blind by our own traditions and our way of thinking, like we lose sight of this, but... Today, I'm praying that our eyes will be open, restored. Because this woman, if you think about it, she had no chance, no business receiving this type of mercy and grace from Jesus. Like living in a culture where women were not allowed to work when, when having a disability was devastating. What we see is that this woman had no chance to be in the presence of Jesus. It was actually a miracle that she was even in the synagogue. Like who allowed her there? Like most likely afterwards, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, they would have gathered a crew. They would have went to one of their houses. And we've seen earlier in the, in the Gospel of Luke that they would have invited Jesus. And who would be at the table? All the other Pharisees, all the people who seem to have it together, who seem to be close to God. And yet on this particular day, Jesus looks at this one individual, the least likely, the, least, the most broken individual, and says, today there is rest and restoration upon your life. You know, I don't know what kind of stuff you're going through today. And I honestly can't see it from here. But God sees you and God knows you. And he's not just unaware of your situation. He's willing to come and do something about your situation. Would you make yourself available to him? Would you trust him and allow him to touch you? Allow him to restore you in specific ways where things in your past, things that are so broken, your addiction, your failures, whatever it might be, that you would see those things completely shattered before the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. It says in verse 17, and he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame. I, pretty much, he just kind of silenced the crowd. And it says, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. So do you rejoice in the work of transformation? Or when you see transformation, do you still try to stick with your own ways? You know, as a pastor, you know, 
I think the more and more I study the Bible, there's a more and more tendency for me to just embrace the information. Like, I read so many books, so much stuff about the Bible that a lot of times I forget the purpose of that information. It's not just to, to, for me to be intellectual and to be able to speak before you. God has spoken these words to me, not just as information for a source of transformation, to so renew my life, to restore my life. It might be uncomfortable, but man, I really wish that I'll be transformed in every aspect of my life. I don't just need an upgrade in my life. I need a complete makeover. Sometimes that's how broken I feel. And when you feel that lost and that broken and realize there's grace available for you, that's when the transforming work of Jesus starts. You know, one thing that I was really surprised in the New Year's Eve banquet, we had a time where we wrote all our prayer requests, right? I saw a lot of prayer requests that said, I want to read the Bible more. I want to pray more. I want to grow and know God more. There's little to none where people were saying that I really need to transform in this life. I want to change. I want to be completely different. I want complete transformation in my walk with God. Like, I don't want to be the same. I want complete transformation in my marriage. I don't want my relationship to be the same. I want complete transformation in my parenting. I don't want to be the same. The way that I interact with others, have fellowship within the body of Christ, the way that I live out my life in my workplace as a student, like, I don't want to be the same. And the good news is that God invites us to live a completely new life. He says that, that behold, the old has passed, the new has come, that you are a new creation in Christ. That we all have places, areas in our life that require transformation. And the last thing I want to leave you is this. God's kingdom, his work, it might seem small in the beginning, but it is growing. If you made yourself available for, to this transforming power, that God, he's going to start his good work. It says in verse 18, in light of all this, he said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed, the smallest seed that you could see in that time, that a man took this and sowed it in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. So the smallest seed, this insignificant seed, you see that you know, this is sown into the ground, and you're wondering what could happen, what can possibly come out from this tiny seed, and what comes out is one of the largest trees that you'll see in Palestine. And so the kingdom of God is like that. The transformation is a process. Sometimes you wonder, is God really working in my life? But slowly but surely, you see the growth, you see the change, you see God completely changing all these areas of your life, and it's not just for your good. The reference here, the birds and the air may nest in the branches, is actually an Old Testament reference alluding to how the nations will come for healing when God's people are experiencing God's grace. And so not only would you experience healing, but you'll extend this grace to other people. But it says in verse 21, another picture of God's kingdom. It is like a, a, a leaven, what a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. Yeast, that's what he's talking about. It's like yeast in flour. When you bake something, when you put yeast, it's a small amount. You wonder how is it going to make a difference, but that yeast is going to influence the entire dough. Every particle of the flour is going to be impacted by that yeast. And why is that so important? When God transforms you, it's not just certain areas of your life. He's going to transform you in every possible way. 
so that you can grow into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So a life transformed, hypocrisy uncovered, and God's kingdom growing and advancing in ways that are mysterious, yes, glorious. So how do you respond to a passage like this? If you never trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and I know that maybe some of you have made the, put in the effort that you tried to make a difference in your life, I just want to encourage you that it's less about trying, but it's more about surrendering, making yourself available so that God can touch you, so that God can restore you, so that God can renew, so that you would automatically glorify him as your Lord and Savior. Like it, it starts with him. Let him initiate the process. A lot of times we get so ahead of ourselves, try to do all these different things that God doesn't even have time to work in us. Allow him to do his good work through his, through, through his word, through his people. Allow him to help you grow in areas that you never thought could change. For some people who are struggling with specific issues, physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, relationally, whatever it might be, this passage ought to give us hope. Bring your burdens to Jesus. Let him give you true rest. And lastly, for those who have heard this message before, attended church for quite a bit, let's make sure that our hearts are not hardened by the religious thoughts and information that we have accumulated in the past. Um, It's great that we have a foundation, but you never put God in a box that you God is always far glorious, far beautiful, far wonderful than what we can ever imagine. So stop putting limits into what God can do in your life. Let God transform you and help you grow through and through until you see him face to face in glory. Never settle for anything less. Let's be renewed and restored by the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray.